following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. As we watch the suburban garden gnome carefully, carefully without disturbing it, we notice that it moves like not at all. It's inanimate and utterly without brain function. But despite that, when a garden gnome hears about how Geico not only saves people money, but also gives them access to licensed agents 24-7 online and over the phone, it's clear to them you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. But on second thoughts, maybe don't watch garden gnomes too carefully. People might talk. Welcome to the Forbes Sports Money Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. On this show, we talk about the business of sports. My guest today is Todd DeBuff, the president of Top Rank Boxing. Todd, thanks a million for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for having me. Todd, uh, you, you're talking to a, a huge boxing fan here, but I grew up in the era where the big boxing matches were often on ABC Wide World of Sports. A lot's changed over those decades. In fact, I think the last great fight I remember watching on free broadcast TV was when Roberto Duran knocked out, was it Ray Buchanan for the lightweight championship? I think it was in the 70s at some point. By the way, I think, you know, if you ask most historians, Roberto Duran will go down in history as the greatest lightweight of all times. And a lot of people don't realize that, but he was one of the greatest lightweight of all times. And then he jumped up weight classes, and we saw him in the great fights with Leonard and Tommy at 47 or above. But when he was a lightweight, he was beast. Yeah, in 1980, I want to say I was working in the shipping department of a handprint wall-covering plant in East Rutherford, New Jersey, that was owned by my father and two uncles. And, uh, I don't know, maybe 60 employees. And basically you're talking about, uh, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans who were, you know, huge boxing fans, all pulling for Duran to beat Sugar Ray Leonard in the first fight. And I remember such tremendous excitement over that fight. Um, that was the first one, of course, that, uh, Duran won. I think it was a unanimous decision. Over, over Ray Leonard before the uh, famous Nomas fight. Um, In and Montreal. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I want to, you know, I wanted to get to fast forward to uh, present time. This ESPN deal, you know, I wanted to talk to you about that because it hit my mind. I said, oh, you know, boxing back on free TV. What a great idea. Tell me about this deal and, and why you think it's so important for boxing and for top rank. Well, I, I think let, let's first talk talk about you know the the you you reminisced about the old days of seeing boxing on free television, and I think that um, when we had three and a half or four networks, whatever you want to say, back in you know in uh, I'm 50, so in, in I don't know how old you are, but in back in those days, we were watching all the networks show it all the time. I think what basically happened a little bit is what 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 the theory was was that um, we kind of, the premium cables came in and took the, the you know, the desserts out of the, uh, out of the sport, right? They took all the premium, premium product and put it on a smaller platform to, and pay, overpaid all, all the promoters and the fighters and everything to grow their sub base in the premium market. And that became a constant. And I would say about, oh, in the last, you know, um, two to three years, I kept saying, I, we all kept saying internally at top rank, 
there's got to be a shift here. There has to be a way to offer the entire platform, the entire vertical um, to a mainstream, broadly distributed sports channel. Um, we just saw that the premium channels are largely entertainment channels. They're not really associated with general sports anymore, um, or they couldn't make their way through the the, the very um, uh, you know crowded field of content that is sitting out there with the consumers to make an impact in sports. And that's basically what the theory was. You know, just take the entire vertical, bring it to a broadly distributed platform, sports platform. And kind of replicate what the NFL's got, replicate what NBA's got. Don't have all these different games and all these different calibers all over the, the, the crazy scope of seven different networks, but make one home base. How, do, how does the, uh, do the rights work for this, Todd? Do you guys, uh, is there streaming involved? Are there various platforms or is, is it strictly uh, television? Well, there's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, entire 360 approach there's going to be streaming there's the all of the all of the espn uh products like espn deportis um there'll be simultaneous streaming there'll be delays there'll be their multi-sport which is their um ott offering that they're going to they'll be launching um with bam tech uh starting in 18 that'll have a lot of our library included on it and basically, it's going to be a um, you know a um, the home for a, uh, a ton of content in the boxing category. We saw that there was if 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 we analyzed um, the sports landscape, and I said, okay, network association with sport, we could basically associate the properties with a network. And if it was MLB with Turner and ESPN, if it's NBA. With oh, excuse me, uh, and Fox is involved also. Um, if it was NBA with Turner and ESPN, if it was UFC with FS1, if it's NASCAR with Fox and uh, and NBC, there was always an association, and and that association with the product of boxing was kind of lost. And we felt, listen, there's this underserved fan base. Let's serve them a constant buzz of information. Let's keep the lights on for the whole product. Was there not uh, a agreement with ESPN going back? I don't know. I want to say in the '90s for boxing as well. Well, there was an agreement. Funny enough, in uh, in 1981, when they first launched, um, about two years after they first launched, they made a deal uh, with Top Rank with Bob at the time to do Top Rank boxing on ESPN, and that deal lasted for 15 years. And was an incredibly successful uh, marriage for both of them um, and had Friday night fights. It had super bouts. It had a whole plethora of, of offerings, but it still didn't offer the premium content, right? They didn't, ESPN didn't have the big sub fees and the big, you know, the big growth that they had. And in, in 1996, they decided to launch an ESPN2, pivot their business model and make a run at the big properties like the NFL and the NBA and, and baseball and kind of put this middle because they weren't getting the, pre, the premium boxing product. The premium boxing product was largely on HBO or Showtime at the time. And uh, they just kind of pushed it into almost the ESPN2 program fill category. And we decided in this iteration, listen, let's offer them the entire vertical. 
I mean, nobody off. I mean, we were offering an NFL preseason game. That's the equivalent of what what it used to be. And that's a very hard product just to sell. If I go to a network and offer them preseason football or basketball, they're going to say, wait a second, where's the regular season? Where's the playoffs? Where's the, the, the Super Bowl? I got to have something to have some teeth on it. And Todd, just so our listeners uh, understand, when you said Bob, that's Bob Arm, right? Your stepfather who founded Top Rank, correct? Correct. Right. And uh, he was one of the great pioneers of boxing. Now, when you talk about getting the premier product, Top Rank, obviously, big promotion company, but one promotion company. How can you assure uh, getting the premier product to ESPN now when there's only so many boxers for whom you can effectively control and do matches for? Well, I, I don't, I, you know, I look at this as a long-term perspective, right? And our idea is to create awareness across the board. You know, to use the platform to create awareness across the board, to act as a, you know, um, to use the uh, H, uh, the um, ESPN megaphone as a sounding board for the category. Um, remember something in, in in large part in boxing, unlike any other sport, you know, awareness or audience equals money for the athletes in other sports. It's greatness. You can have, you know, you can run for, you know, a gazillion touchdowns, score average 31 points a game. Your contract's up, you get, it gets levered into a negotiation. In boxing, it's very much a free market because the attractability of the athlete, the general awareness of the athlete, the overall um, consumer um, appeal to the athletes create the money. And we can look at, you know, this past Mayweather-McGregor fight, which did – I don't know, probably close to what we did for Mayweather and uh, Pacquiao herself, which was $600 million of gross revenue in a three and a half hour event. That's incredible. That's the attractability of it. So this is a long term perspective. I'm not going to say right away, you know, you're going to have every great fighter on this platform. I think this is a this is a uh, um, a project. It's a process. Now, I think what you've had what four fights on ESPN or something like that with this uh, new agreement. Is that correct? Yes, we start. We uh, started with the Pacquiao Horn uh, fight, which was the fight from Brisbane, and then we came in with uh, started with uh, Vasily Lomachenko on August fifth, and then August nineteenth was uh, Terence Crawford in his unification bout. What type of feedback have you gotten? Thus far, I know it's been a very short period of time, and you're talking about the long term here, which makes a lot of sense. But in terms of what your expectations were, uh, what type of feedback have you gotten at this point, and uh, what is your take on it? Well, I mean, I think the I, I think there was a um, a stereotype to boxing, and the stereotype was it's not sellable; it's an unsellable product, and um, you know. My and our theory was, wait, this is you're trying to sell the preseason games. That's why it's been unsellable. The sellable product has been sitting on premium channels where there is no advertising sales. Right. So let's give it a chance. And while we were on premium cable, I kept analyzing our ratings on premium cable, which was 30 million homes up against other sports. And Specifically, I was I, I put it up against UFC, and I'm like, you know, our our total households, our total viewers, our everything looked really good. The one thing I was worried about a little bit was the demographic, the youthful demographic. 
Multicultural, I knew we were off the charts. Um, we were very probably the strongest sport in multicultural, and I just didn't know how we would do in the younger categories. And actually, it has been an incredible success, and both in the 18 to 34, 18 to 49, the right demos um, have really been largely successful. And not only that, the shoulder programming or the uh, programming abutting those programs have showed huge lifts. The general narrative is aligning with our theory, which is very successful. And breaking away to say this show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. What type of ratings uh, over the course of, of a year or so, where, where you may have several fights and can look at a median number, if you will, uh, what type of numbers would you like to see to see that you're trending in the right direction? And you know, as a follow-up, you were mentioning HBO, Todd. I didn't realize the viewership was so high on HBO for boxing. The the uh, typical viewership for HBO, it sounds like, surpasses the typical viewership for UFC. You know, if you, if you, if you knock off the end of the curve, if you will, you know, the the uh, the Mayweather fight or, or the you know the the biggest fights. If you look at the middle there, it sounds like boxing viewership stacks up quite well. It does stack up quite well. Um, and the biggest concern to me was it's, it stacks up very well in total reach and total audience. You have a very look, remember part of the DNA of HBO was boxing, you know, in, in the second Ali Frazier fight in, I think it was 1974, Jerry Levin bought the rights from the thriller, uh, excuse me, the third one from the thriller in Manila. And basically when they realized they could transmit live broadcast through military satellites. That was the genesis of it. Um, so the DNN, you know, they signed Marvin Hagler and Ray Leonard and had all these wonderful fighters that helped build up their subscriber base. Um, my biggest concern was the demographic, was the age demographic. And everybody knows when you go out into the marketplace, you know, having a 55 plus audience is not the most targeted audience you want for ad sales. Right. Um, and surprise you know, and shocking to a lot of the, the naysayers of it. Our demographic is really coming in quite strong and the ratings are coming in quite strong. So I think we you know, overall, I don't want to make a generalization about the overall household reach because you have to hit the right category. Right. We're trying to make this a, a very commercialized product again. And right now, the numbers are looking fantastic. Uh, what about uh, terms of international reach, either from ESPN or other platforms for boxing? Uh, you know, whether it be Facebook, you saw the Amazon Prime deal with the NFL. Um, are, are the other platforms encumbered by your agreement with ESPN, or are you looking at other ways to distribute boxing? Um, so, international has kind of been a top ranks wheelhouse. Uh, we have an enormous amount of goodwill over the 50 years of delivering massive content to the world of sport on a global basis. We, ret we retain all of our, our global rights. Um, so we have 
international deals in Mexico with TVS Teco. We opened up free to air there. We have deals in the Philippines, in Japan, and in China. So we have overall reach. Um, it, we are free to do as we wish with it. Um, and uh, if there's a territory that, a, that ESPN may be in that we don't have distribution, we would then offer it through them. Um, but there is nothing uh, holding us back on, a, um, on an international basis. How, how do you compete with, you know, I'm just looking at, uh, I was talking to Jerry Jones the other day, the owner of the Cowboys, and he was going over the distribution rights and platforms for the NFL. And we're talking about, well, you know, they're going to continue to do more with things like Amazon Prime and the deal that they have also uh, with Verizon for uh, the game in Wembley in England. Uh, he said, but it's never going to come off of free TV. He said, as long as uh, he's alive, he said, there will be a lot of NFL on free TV. But increasingly, you know, you were touching on non-sports programming earlier. How can you compete with if HBO or Netflix goes out and, and they want to go to the top fighters and say, you know, we're willing to pay you X, Y, Z to put this on pay-per-view. Uh, how can you compete with that? Uh, at your end with ESPN uh, and the deal you have there. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't look at it there. I don't think there's a, a competition. I think we're look, you're, we're kind of mixing up different, different platforms here. Right. So um, I think with, when we start talking about general distribution, um, I, I agree. And I'm a big fan of Jerry's. Uh, I think Jerry and his wife and his family are terrific. I'm actually going to be down there on Sunday for opening game for the, uh, I I hope you're rooting for the giants. No, I can't talk about, I can tell you this. Bob is, Bob is going rooting for the giants and I'm very good friends with Steve Tish too and Jerry, but I'm Jerry's guest. So I'm Uh, neutral. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be neutral here. I'm, I'm not wearing it. Um, so, I would say this, you know, there there is something said for what Jerry is saying is correct. Um, You need and this is why we felt we needed to be on a broadly distributed. You need to be readily available. You need the product, your product to be on in the wheelhouse of everybody that's engaged in sport. I think there is a direct to consumer outlet. That is different when you start talking about HBO and Netflix. It's a very different dynamic, right? When you talk pay-per-view, it's even more different. We can use all these different ways to distribute the high-level pay-per-view events, and we could use a Roku, a PlayStation. You could go through Amazon Prime to buy it. We can use them as all methods of no different than your normal MSOs, right, or DirecTV or DISH or the cable. We can use them all day long. But at the end of the day, you need to be in front of the sports fan and the viewer on a free basis, on a constant basis. We, I always say – I use this analogy. It was keeping the lights on. And I really believe that what Jerry is saying is the NFL wants to keep the lights on all the time. And that is our theory of moving the product to ESPN, keeping the lights on and using every, all the different platforms, however you want to buy it. You want to buy it on your phone. You want to buy it on your laptop. You want to buy it in your car. You could be able to purchase it if it was a pay event or you could get it streaming live on Twitter or on ESPN's OTT or on Facebook. 
And there was, in the old theory, this exclusivity window that said, one stream, one platform, I'm going to make you go there. And I think what we're seeing is, look at all the ratings. The ratings for college football last week were off the charts. Multiple places to see it. Multiple places are resulting in higher ratings. And, you know, that is something very telling. And I'll just let me just go back because I probably on a statistical basis, you'll like this. Um, I looked at the I really did an analysis of the, of the Pacquiao fight and the cherry cherry category is 18 to 34. People really don't I mean, they're like, how do we get to that category? Right. They're like these younger young guys, these gamers, they're on phones. And how do we get to them? Going into the Pacquiao fight, we had 87,000 viewers of 18 to 34. Going into the fight, starting and going into the, the broadcast at 9 o'clock. By 1230, when Pacquiao was in the ring, we had 870,000. We, we had a 10 times multiple in that category of 18 to 34. Well, they were getting the information vis-a-vis through all these social platforms. So it's creating the lift. So I think... What Jerry seems, embrace all of it, embrace it all, and you're going to get the lift. So from your end, as far as top rank's concerned, as well as boxing overall, but you see for top rank, uh, the ESPN deal for, uh, you know, basic cable, plus on top of that, you guys are still going to be working with or looking at other type of deals, whether it be with HBO, Netflix, or whatever it may be. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. There's a. I mean, HBO is in the premium cable. I'm. I'm. We believe. I'm. They're not doing pay-per-view distribution. They're not a pay-per-view platform. They're not an MSO. You know, Netflix. If they were going to offer, um, they're not like a Comcast or a Directv. I think you're kind of confusing the two here. So HBO is going to provide their cut their subscribers with premium content wherever they can get it from. Um, right now, my content's going to be on ESPN into 90 million homes on broadly distributed uh, uh, sports fans. One, you know, you mentioned, you asked how uh, old I was a little earlier. We were talking about it. You know, I'm 50. Uh, I think I'm 58 now. Is that true? Yeah, I think I'm 58. Actually, I can't believe it. But I can almost tell you to the day I stopped following boxing. You know, as a hardcore fan, and it was Ali Frazier won, and I mean that was you know the fight of the century, and I so wanted to see that fight, and it was on. I don't know, you know, you had to go to a movie theater or someplace to see it. I couldn't see the fight; it just killed me, killed me. And you know, after that, that seemed to be sort of the inflection point for me, where I kind of started to to lose the big time interest. Picked up again, you know, uh, with Duran when he got into it. Uh, with the Leonard fights, but, you know, the issues of uh, not being able to see it, plus, you know, I just wonder how do we uh, deal with the fact there are so many sanctioning bodies right now. I don't even know who's the champ of of what division anymore. I used to be able to tell, you know, this guy's the heavyweight champ, this guy's the middleweight champ, this guy's the lightweight champ. I I don't know anymore. Is it... it, uh, I think is it Bud Crawford now? He's gonna he's abdicating certain t- uh, so he could unify uh, it on all on his his title under one one uh, unification bout. Is that what needs to be done? 
that's a little bit of the of the the minutia of the sport, right? And I understand that how confusing it is to the layman and people that are want to be a fan and they don't understand that why there's a title. But let me put this into maybe easy 101 language. Boxing is truly the only global sport other than soccer. Because it's old, it has a long history, it has you know, a penetration throughout Africa, throughout Asia, throughout Europe. Every country has had a world champion or somebody that has represented their company as an Olympic sport and on to be a world title holder. And that's very similar to soccer. I mean, you have the Premier League, the Bundesliga, the, you know, you have the Mexican League. You have all these leagues. You have champions of all of them, but doesn't mean that you don't have one champion. I mean, other than when the World Cup happens, which is a very nationalistic thing, you still have this multiple champion scenarios. So it's very similar. Um, so because of its growth and because of its world appeal, so like Terence Crawford fought a guy from Namibia. He had two titles. His name was Ndongo, Julius Ndongo. He had the IBF title and the WBC title. Now, if he didn't have those titles – if he wasn't, he may not have been a relevant fighter that we would have all glued in to see this big unification. So in some ways, it gives somebody credibility when you have more than one champion, right? How else are they going to get credibility? They have big television markets from their home country. They're local heroes. People are filling the streets when Klitschko or Anthony Joshua or Manny Pacquiao fight. So it is a very, very nationalistic perspective. And that's why the titles have been kind of you know, um, not unified as one, as we, we would talk about. And taking a break to say there's this place in Bali where you can play 18 holes next to an active volcano. There's this fountain in Miami that goes off with every home run. There's this subway line in New York that'll take you straight to both arenas. There's an exciting and thrilling world waiting, and no other card lets you experience it like the business platinum card from American Express. Backed by the service and security of American Express. Hey everybody, I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. Together we're hosting a new Forbes podcast called Overworld. It's all about video games and the impact they have on art, culture, society, history, all that good stuff. It launches Tuesday, September 19th, and we'll post every Tuesday thereafter. So please subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you hear your shows. Are things like your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on homeowner's insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you have a cute little reading nook for those rainy days when you want to curl up with a good book, but you don't even read, so you just sit in there during thunderstorms and scroll through memes on your phone and laugh in the darkness. <laughs> the GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the dark, meme-filled corner you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on homeowner's insurance. Are things like McGregor Mayweather, I mean, to me, I, I don't mean this as at a disrespect to either gentleman. They're both great in their respective crafts. But to me, people were asking me, are you going to watch it? I was like, no, man. To me, it's like a freak show. You know, same reason why I didn't really didn't care about watching, you know, I don't know, who did Ali fight, Hulk Hogan or somebody or Andre the Giant? I mean, I, I want to see real matches 
And at the same time, uh, you know, quite frankly, I was all ticked off because I'm feeling like that's sucking all the oxygen out of, you know, legitimate boxing matches that are happening, whether it be the Crawford fight or, or uh, you know, the, the fight that uh, De La Hoya is putting on or, or, you know, what I call legitimate big time matches. I mean, it, it, it does, you know, look, I'm a capitalist, you know, and so I believe in free markets. But at the same time, how do you get around this? Well, I, mean, I don't think there's anything to get around. I think I think that that's the I think that's the attitude of the the old mindset, right? You know, to me, I, I kind of embrace the attitude. Do I think it was? Did I ever think it was going to be a, a competitive fight? No, not in, no, I never did. It was two different sports, but it was an enormous money grab. But the one thing that I got to say is it penetrated the general consumer, and that's a nice thing to have for us in this category is to get people to at least be talking boxing a little bit um, because we got to bring it back to the mainstream. I want it in the lexicon of the talk radios, of the talk TVs, the writers, the bloggers, the interviewers. I want people to all of a sudden be like inspired to see these you know, young prospects, a kid from Ireland like Michael Conlon or Shakur Stevenson out of New Jersey you know, that are now the current guys that nobody really knows about. I think it's good to make people aware of it. Mayweather McGregor was just a great money grab. <laughs> That's all I can say. Hey, who, who, who are the big names? Who are some of the names right now, you know, whether or not they're with top rank or somebody else, that you could tell our listeners, you know, these are some prime names to keep an eye on as far as they have a lot of talent and they could have some big marketing juice eventually. Well, I would say, I would say this. Look, I'm going to do like CNBC does, you know. You know when the guy comes on the air and he says <laughs> – <laughs> and he has to like determine it's in his holdings, right? Right, right. I'm a shareholder of it. All right. So we'll start with the product outside of my holding, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're a good sport. I'm a good sport. I don't want to. I don't want to be tagged as like a homer, right? No. I don't want to be tagged like, right. So um, I think um, I think this. Uh, what is it? Uh, in uh, next week and the Golovkin Canelo fight is a terrific fight. Really a terrific fight. I like both fighters. Um, I think uh, Canelo's terrific um, attraction from Mexico, very unique with his red hair um, and his like appeal. I think Golovkin is a terrific fighter. Um, he's a little older than, than Canelo. We'll see what he has. But I think on paper, both of them, it makes really good fight. Um, and I like both of the fighters. I think stylistically, they're, they're telegenic to me. Um, uh, out, after that, um, I really, I, I'm a big long on Anthony Joshua. He's the heavyweight uh, out of England that just fought Klitschko in a terrific fight. He's a British, big, strong kid, big attraction in England, and I think he is absolutely terrific as a fighter, um, as a young prospect coming up. I think in in our holdings, um, I would, you know, you have as the younger guys coming up, the newer guys, forget the, the Pacquiao, the Mayweather's, all that stuff. So obviously we have Pacquiao. Um, I think Terrence Crawford right now is an absolute stud. Um, I think he is, he is, comes from Omaha, Nebraska. He is just an, he has really matured into be a terrific fighter. I think Vasily Lomachenko may be the, one of the greatest talents I've seen in my 25 years. <laughs> I think, uh, out of Mexico, um, Oscar Valdez um, is was a uh, Mexican Olympian. He's fighting on ESPN September 22nd. Is a real telegenic star. So those are the guys I like a lot as in the future. 
that I can see playing out well. Um, not those are like title holders. Obviously, the very charismatic Michael Conlon that that disrupted the whole Aiba and Olympic judging system when right. he got robbed of the decision and flipped everybody off. He's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and I think when you look at the other prospects, you have to look at uh, the the American uh, Shakur Stevenson, who was he won a silver medal in the last Olympics as the first um, uh, silver medal since Andre Ward won his gold, I think, in '04. So I think those are the guys. That's the the, the big. Uh, the future, um, that's a little bit of the current. Um, and I think those are the guys I really, I think are, you should keep an eye on. Todd, I don't know what you can or cannot reveal, but in terms of the economics of the ESPN deal, uh, before we get into more broader areas about top rank and how boxing has evolved, is there anything you could tell our listeners in terms of the terms of the deal? How long is it? And then, if you can't reveal actual revenue numbers, how do the economics work? Is it ad share? Is it a straight rights fee? Or you know, how does this work out for top rank? Well, I mean, it's um, it, it's a complicated deal. Um, obviously, um, it's an important deal for us, and it's an important deal for ESPN. Um, and and obviously, for a large uh, number of reasons, they've been uh, largely criticized or been on the, uh, the the chopping block on Wall Street for a long time. Um, I think this, you know, the, the deal is it's a, it's a four year, it starts with a four year deal. Um, we're going to be doing uh, somewhere around 16 shows, um, on linear, um, meaning ESPN or ABC. Um, and then, uh, in a combination of that and their OTT offering their multi-sport that'll be, uh, launched in 218. We'll additionally be doing, um, our same pay-per-view events that we would normally be doing. Um, but with them as our distribution and promotional partner. Um, so where they'll be you know, in the marketplace um, with us uh, using their network to uh, create awareness for the program. Um, uh, it, is, it is a rights deal, um, but it's all about uh, growing the sport and to grow, to really educate the advertising community. Um, I can't disclose uh, any of that information, no. When you say 16 shows, do you mean 16 boxing matches? Yes. All right, okay. Um, you know, I, I read this a, a while back, and uh, it, it kind of astounded me, but is it true that you're like, your love, the game that you played growing up when you were growing up in uh, Nevada was ice hockey? Well, I was, uh, yes, I played hockey. College, yeah. Well, I don't know. You, I think you more than played it. I think you were a heck of a player in college. I mean, come on here. That was a long time ago. I mean, I'm 50 now. So <laughs> I mean, but I mean, you picked like the hottest state in the country and, and started in ice hockey. I found, well, you know, I, I what I really found out interesting about that was, I actually, you know. I, I actually went away to prep school because um, I was born in Las Vegas and I went away to prep school early on. And one of the reasons was, was because. The Teamsters Union took over the hockey rink. <laughs> they were they were the landlords, and they shut it down because the guy wasn't paying rent. And uh, I went out to um, Eagle Brook School out in uh, Deerfield, Mass, and then to Loomis Chafing, then went on to play at Trinity College. And it was a great um, American boom at that time, uh, prep school hockey was. It was before a lot of the Eastern Europeans came in. It was largely Canadians and uh, the likes of uh, – you know, Janney, Leach, Ronick, Amani, they were all in the prep school system then. You know, a lot of those negotiations back in the day between Bob Arum and 
you know, whether it be Seth Abraham at HBO, you know, it was the old school, you know, back smoke-filled room, you know, hammering out deals, you know, and who the hell even needed a written contract? You shook hands and that's what you did. But um, my understanding was, you know, as, as those negotiations, I think it was 1993, you, you, you came into top rank. And as you started going to some of those meetings, you were often the peacemaker in that. And uh, I found that very interesting. How, how did... Uh, how did that happen? What was your revolution like working with Top Rank? Well, I mean, the reality of it was was I was very fortunate because um, I was able to go – I was able to learn from Bob. Um, and a lot of people just jump into the business without really knowing the business or understanding the business because there's no barrier of entry in boxing. So all you need is a prize fighter that has some attractability and anybody will give you a license and anybody will let you in their office for a meeting. Um, it's a lot different than other sports where there's a big barrier of entry. As we saw, uh, Toman Fertitta just bought the, the Houston Rockets. So not anybody can buy a team or not anybody can enter um, into those leagues. Um, so I was very fortunate to learn the business for many years with Bob. And he was a great teacher, um, and uh, I learned the goods and the bads. I think a lot of it was was you know Bob was a ve- Bob is a very uh, emotional person, and the people across the table or or beside him at the table they would they have a long history together. So <laughs> somehow the conversations would get sidetracked once in a while, and sometimes you know I'd be a sounding reasoning board uh, to get everybody back on track, but. Um, some of my uh, some wonderful memories from Bob and Don to Seth to everybody. It's been wonderful. What was the greatest thing you learned from Bob? That's a good question. Um, uh, don't ever be. I, one of the first things he told me, he says, "Don't ever become emotionally attached to a fighter because they'll guarantee to break your heart." And neither of us have been able to follow that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's got to be awful, awful hard to do. How, how has the economics of the promotion business changed over the years? And, and if you wouldn't mind, keep in mind that some of our listeners probably have very little knowledge of how the economics of your business actually work. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the, the – I mean, a lot of people don't know what a, a boxing promoter is. And I kind of – it's, it's kind of like a bad word. Um, somebody says to me, what is a boxing promoter? And I say, you know, kind of we're, you know, in, in, they roll out a red carpet for a movie producer. <laughs> nobody rolls out a red carpet for us. It's like danger, danger, danger. Here comes boxing promoter. But the truth is we're very similar to movie producers, right? In a way we have ideas, we have an idea of, of a match and we basically have to guarantee all of the revenues or all of the pay to all of the participants, um, including the marketing, the purses, the arena expenses, everything like that. And then we take all of the revenue streams to offset all of those expenses. And those revenue streams would be domestic um, television, international television, sponsorship, um, live ticket sales. uh, and, And that is kind of how the model works. Fascinating. You know, um, I I tried to get a handle on actually how big 
the sporting of boxing is in terms of actual gross revenue. It's it's very difficult to do. At least it was for me. Maybe some people have an easy time of it. But um, how big is the sport of boxing? In other words, we're talking about here about you know what we're going to do with the SPN to broaden the appeal, get the right demographics. How how big is the pie out there currently for boxing? If you were to look at revenue and Based on if, if the brand continues to grow and the exposure grows, how big could it be a few years down the road? Well, you know, I, you know it's very serendipitous you asked that question. So I got from ESPN, um, from a, a department of them, which does all this, it's called Fan and Media Intelligence, and they did a recap of kind of the marketplace just, I mean, like two days ago. So I'm going to pull it up because there were some really fascinating things here. Number ready? Yeah. Number one. Number one thing that I loved. Ready? I'm um, ready. Boxing is the sixth most popular sport in the United States. All right. Percentage of U.S. population. The NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, NBA, college basketball, and then boxing. Wow. How's that for you? I'm, I have to say I'm a little surprised. A little surprised. All right. Um uh additionally in this in this thing in this um study that they did in the text of it they have and i want to give you the actual number i think they identified that the boxing category has about 34 million fans in the united states and and these are people i guess that follow it on a regular basis right I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I, I just, you know, I think it's people that are, are if the fight is there, if they know about it, if they're, they're, they're drawn attention to it, I think they, this is what they, their information okay. shows. All right. And to me, I look at that and I'm like, wait a second, we're the six most, we're the six most popular television sport in the United States. And we have a fan base of 34 million, you know? There is this inefficiency that's going on. We have been siloed into a wrong, into the wrong platform, right? That's to reach to them. I mean, uh, Games of Thrones did 10.9 million viewers. That's where people go to HBO for, right? Right. And they, they go to Showtime for billions. But they're going to go see Alabama and Florida State on ESPN. It's the natural thing. So let's just move this over to this platform and let's try to expand that reach. I think there's a lot of fans out there, but I don't know where they – I don't think they know where to find the product. And that's what we're hopefully trying to do. What can you share about Tom Break itself in terms of, you know, how big is it? How, you know, it, it, do you ever uh, put out there revenue numbers or uh, how big is it relative to the other promoters, promotion companies out there? Where do you guys sit right now and, and – how big do you think you could be three, four years from now if this plan works out? First of all, we've we've had a you know people always ask me you know what is what makes Top Rank special? What makes it different? Um, like I said to you before, there's no there's no barrier of entry. Um, and one of the th- one of the um, one of the things I try to make an analogy, Mike, is this: is if I walked in your office with um, uh, you know Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. And I don't know where you're based out of, but let's say you're in New York or you said you were from New Jersey. I'm not sure. And I go in there and say, hey, we want to do a concert. Let's do one. You go, hell yeah, I'm going to call up, uh, you know, 
we're going to go book Madison Square Garden or Barclays or you know, Giant Stadium, and we can do it in two seconds. That's what today's promoter is. But if I walked in with four guys and I said to you, Mike, hey, can you make these guys the Rolling Stones? That's a different skill set. And across the board, that, has, that is what the DNA of top rank is. If it was Ray Leonard, Ali, Oscar De La Hoya in 1992 we signed out of the Olympics, Mayweather in 96 out of the Olympics, Cotto in 2000 out of the Olympics, we know how to make the stars. We know how to find the right guys, develop them, and make hits. We just want to do this on a quicker level. And we think this platform is going to offer that. And we really believe that we're going to be able to tell the stories of these kids at a much younger, a much quicker basis. And like I said at the press conference, people aren't going to say who's fighting on Saturday night. They're going to ask me when are they fighting on Saturday night. Are there any things in the sport, Todd, that you'd like to see change? That's a good question. That's a really good question. Um, I think the hardest, the, the most difficult thing that I deal with in this sport is the scoring system. Um, and I don't know that the average fan or even the average judge knows how to score. And when you talk about the global appeal to it, there is not a unified base that everybody says, this is how you score a round. I think the discrepancy in the metrics that people judge around and who wins the round creates this, you know, negative uh, negativity um, towards the sport, which I don't like. Um, there's nothing in sport as that is subjective, like boxing, right? It's how you see the fight. I love an aggressor. Some people don't love an aggressor, but you know, you see a basketball go into the hoop. It's two points. If he's behind the line, it's three. You see a guy cross the end zone, it's a, it's a touchdown. They don't say, well, it's subjective. I didn't think he crossed the line. He either crossed or he didn't. That's the hardest thing. And that is the most difficult thing that boxing, and I think, the scoring system, um, any any sport that has a scoring system that is it is subjective, um, kind of can, uh, needs to be improved on. Yeah, I would agree. It's almost like sometimes uh, you could be sitting there, you know, I'm, I'm watching the Yankee game the other night, and, you know, one inning, you know, they always talk about the thing they want is consistency with an umpire. One inning, he's given the call two inches on the outside corner. The next inning, he's not given that call. So, you know, the batters are all frustrated. And that, that definitely happens sometimes when you're watching boxing because you don't know how to sit there necessarily who's winning and who's not. And, and it, it can be frustrating. But I don't know how you fix something like that. Well, and I think a lot of it, you know, if you and I are watching a fight together, and it's no knock on the announcers. The announcers have an incredible impact over you. And if it's Jim Lampley or Joe Tessitore um, or, or Al Bernstein, and, and they tell you, and a left, left hook lands and he's hurt. Well, they say he's hurt and they say it landed. We don't know. Those are fa- two factual things. So that impression automatically says to you, the guy's hurt. So, and that's their impression. So I don't... I don't know. I think there is a – it's a really, really hard thing to juggle. I think the sport is, is a terrific sport. There's nothing like the energy, the, the two gladiators leaving the locker room, the fans at a you – know, the, the, the fans standing at their feet. Um, it's incredible and it's 48 minutes. It's not three and a half hours of boredom. Uh, and I just think it's an incredible product that constantly needs to get improved. 
you know, I was just trying to think, giving our listeners, some of whom, you know, are probably half my age, how boxing evolved, you know, since you came there in 93, or maybe even before from any time you remember, you know, just stories that Bob used to tell. Um, and, and given how boxing's changed, how top-ranked has changed to stay with the times or ahead of the times? In all fairness, I think the you you have to status if you stay status quo, you will die. Right? That is just your just your your business is going to just fade away. And I think this is part of the pivot that we're doing right now. But I think one of the things that we have to really uh, embrace are all these social platforms today. Uh, UFC, for instance, and I think they did an incredible job. They were basically considered a rogue sport, and they weren't getting traction. Um, on any mainstream platforms, and they use the internet as a way to d- distribute content, to distribute information, to distribute videos. And who would have thought that that was the the forefront to getting a robust fan base and a young fan base? And that's what they did. So when they got traditional distribution, they were bringing over a young demographic with them. I think all of us that had traditional sports were snobs, right? I think we kind of said, Oh, I need the New York Times to show up. I need, you know, the Wall Street Mm -hmm. Journal, L.A. Times. And I'm on ESPN or Fox or CBS or NBC. And, you know, we were we had our noses up in the air and we're going to have to embrace all platforms and all different uh, ways of distributing information and the events. I think information um, dissemination about the events is as important as the event itself. I call that the shoulder programming. Everything before it, everything after it. You got to drive awareness to what you're going to tune into on Saturday night. If you don't know what it is, why are you going to tune in? It's it's a new era for sure. Um, Todd, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Todd DeBuff, everybody, the president of Top Rank Boxing. Thank you very much, my friend. Thank you very much, Mike. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Oh, brother. The reason it's called the NFL, not for long. It's sports-related with Jordan and Luke Rogers. The Chargers football is not going to work in Los Angeles. I got hit by a car on my scooter eight days before our first game of my senior year. I was out there playing. No rib strain's going to keep me out. JoJo, what is the last book that Jordan read? I think he just likes to read Twitter articles. Download new episodes of Sports Related every Friday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to click on the banner ad entitled, You Won't Believe What These Child Stars Look Like Now. Be dissatisfied, and kind of sad, about how the child stars look. And now your computer is plagued by incessant pop-up ads. Oh, this can't be good. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 clickbait minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. 
In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.